it's so important to recognize that God is the one that created us, even amidst a world that doesn't want to believe it. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and with me today, we have Tracy. Good morning. And we've got Karen. Hello. And we have Eric. Hey, y'all. So, how is life for everybody? How are things? I am encouraged to see the sunshine and the fact that it's uh, getting warm again. That's a that's a great thing. Sunshine has been nice. It's been very nice. I could do without the wind. Yeah, what was the deal with that? Um, we uh, live in southern Wyoming now, I think. Yes. So the exact yeah. what I say. <laughs> I wore the yeah. heaviest clothes imaginable, didn't wear a lip gloss, and tried not to go outside. It was terrible. Yeah. All right. Well, last week we were just getting ready to start talking about the Ten Commandments, and we had hit on a few points there before we got in there. Uh, things, you know, namely like the commandments are still relevant today. They weren't given only to the Jewish people at the time. That there's immense wisdom in them, and really we should all be looking at them, studying them, understanding the purpose behind them. And so if, uh, if our listeners would like a little review, I guess I would, I would suggest they go back and maybe listen to the last half of last week's episode again. But we're going to get into those commandments today. And one of the first things that strikes me when I was reading today, maybe I mentioned this last week, I don't remember, is that the first time they're given, it was... God speaking the commandments. I always have in my mind, you know, of course, the, the tablets of stone and it's written down. But chapter 20 of Exodus begins with, and God spoke all these words. So this was with Moses up on Mount Sinai. And there seemed to be some possibility, maybe even that the people down below were hearing them too. We do know that they could look up and they could see the cloud covering, and we know they said things like, you know, they could hear thunder and whatnot. But there's other times when, in the Bible when you hear some people saying, oh, all we heard is thunder, and other people saying, oh, we heard God's voice. Yeah, that's Saul, for example. Yeah. So that was just interesting to me, just that this first time was God's own voice and not uh, something written down that could potentially, I guess I could potentially people saying, oh, Moses did that himself. But when you have thousands perhaps millions of people down below that might have heard this that's pretty that's pretty significant i think i that, would guess you went to 18 you see that they did they see it says now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings flashes and everything else so i think they had a good idea of what was going on yeah at least something I, something i would guess that they couldn't hear the literal words of God's voice, though, because keep in mind what we learn later that, like, while Moses is up on the mountain doing this, like, they're down below making a golden calf. Right. True. And I wonder if they were just got a little bit um, desensitized to to these kind of events based on, you know, the, the pillar of fire, the cloud, always yeah. that presence there that now the, the lightning flashes and the trumpet sounds and the rumbling of the ground it really didn't have that effect that it might have on us if we heard it and knew exactly what it was maybe 
I don't know if do we have a real indication how long they'd been traveling when this I think happened? we figured it was about two months or so. Yeah. So yeah. A little while. It yeah, it talked about the beginning of the third month or something like that. Okay. Yep. Remember where we saw that. Oh yeah. On the first so verse one of chapter nineteen says, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai. Okay. So ish, right around that time. Okay. So I guess in my mind it'd be short enough time that it would still be pretty amazing, but it might be growing common for them. That's so crazy to think about, like Red Sea, plagues of Egypt, you know, pillar of smoke and fire, manna. Right. How 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 has three months worn all of this thin already? Yeah, it is kind of yeah. kind of nuts. There they are. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a good point. I had never thought about that because we see later in this reading, it's somewhere between 20 and 25, as we did today, that Moses is asked to come up. And it's very interesting. He's asked to bring, I believe it's 70 elders, even mm-hmm. closer. And then they worship. They have, I hope we get to this, they, they kind of have lunch with God. And then mm-hmm. he's invited Moses is invited with Joshua to come even closer, and then Moses goes himself. So they do seem to be separate events, and it's an interesting point that you make that it kind of it this becomes super important later, especially in the New Testament, where the scribes and Pharisees talk about Moses gave us X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. here we hear that it was in fact God that did it, not Moses. At least these this specific part is that this was God's thing, not Moses' thing. Yeah. Well, we in the Christian world tend to call these the Ten Commandments. Now, I've learned that the Jewish people actually consider them the Ten Statements, and which is interesting. But part of that is because I think they start, the, the they consider the important part starting before we generally do. Uh, we we tend to start looking at um, verse two. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Verse um, three as the first commandment, and whereas they start right there with uh, yeah, we start with verse three. They start there right there in verse two, and that's part of that's all part of it. And it really is important because yes. um, this is God establishing to them specifically that He is the God who brought them out of Egypt. But this has relevance to us as well because this is a reference to slavery in general. Yes. And God has taken us all out of slavery. Not you know, the, the Egypt is figurative for us where it was literal for them, but it's no less relevant. Right. <clears throat> well, do you want to jump in and yep. start talking about them? Because I, I do think you're right that two is important. That gives the context as to who yeah. he is. Yeah. So let's start. I will. Uh, I think what I'll do as we go through, I will read the entire commandment, and then we can discuss them uh, as we go. So the first one: "You shall have no other gods before me." Vitally important and a really important place to start, because you know, at a time when there were a lot of other things being worshipped at the time, and I don't know how. It's hard to say how real these things were to the people. Um, I can see different ways that they would maybe think to follow a different religion. I mean, either 
uh, it just became such a cultural thing for them that they didn't know anything different. I could see that there could be other supernatural forces at play who were posing as, you know, posing as gods. I mean, what we know of, we can think right off the bat of like what Baal, um, Asherah, um, what are some others? Of course, all the Egyptian gods, all the Egyptian gods. And I think, but, you know, initially you start and he's, he's kind of, God went, went out to, 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 um, basically break down these gods and their appearance to his people in Egypt. He took all of them one by one, as we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago. You know, mm-hmm. he he did that already, but to be have to, to say this already, it's I think it's back to how quickly people forget. Mm-hmm. And especially well, other- what's going on at the base of the mountain already. So Yeah. And the other reason I can see here for him to say this right now, I mean, you should have no other gods before me. He's really what he's establishing is there are no other gods. Mm-hmm. Not really. You know, there's all kinds of things that people have been worshiping, but those things are all false. These are not the God who created the universe. These are not the God who has been active in their lives. And let's not make any mistake. This God has been active in every life on the planet, whether the people knew it or not. Um, yeah, you know, I read a, um, a commentary about these, and one thing that they mentioned that I thought was very interesting, it never occurred to me, is that God, in, in a way here, among other things, is saying, I'm not the head of a pantheon. Yeah, right. Because it would be it would be very, very easy for them to assume, it's like, whoa, this... This uh, Yahweh, he's the most powerful of all the gods. And God is saying, no, 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 no. There's mm-hmm. only one. Mm-hmm. I'm not the mm-hmm. head of them. I am the only one. And I thought, that's interesting because almost every other world religion has a whole bunch of gods. And then they kind of have one that's over all the other ones. And God's trying to clarify that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it speaks to even today. You know, a relevance for today when people, you say, you know, we ought to be worshiping God and people will say, well, which God? Well, I've said that before this before on this podcast. There's only one, the God of heaven, the God who created you. So verse or uh, second commandment, this is in verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. I think it's just reiterating exactly what kind of, you know, Eric was saying at this point, it's don't go out and look for other ones because there's, wasn't there a fish God too? And they had got to the point where they were making gods just for about anything. You have the, all the Egyptian gods, the hippopotamus, the falcons, the everything else. And he's saying, you know what? You don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just me. Just like Eric said, there's no other ones. Don't, don't concern yourself with anything else. There's just one. Yeah. So there was something I wanted to say at the beginning that, that I didn't. Um, Because I was having technology problems. But there's this place in the New Testament where they talk about the law, this law. And Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, 
this was what gave me a more, shall we say, mature understanding of what the law was for. So it's this, it's in Matthew 22, and Jesus says, so this is, okay, so this is the Sadducees and the Pharisees who put aside their differences to come together and sort of test Jesus. And they say, well, which is the greatest commandment? Okay, and then Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So to me, as a kid, like I was used to dealing with things from what in the legal field they call the letter of the law. Like what did mommy say? Where are the loopholes? What do I have to do as the minimum, right? Mm -hmm. And then... And this changed my point of view on what the law was about to maybe a set of ethics or a set of priorities, which was a completely different type of guidance, right? So like when we're reading through these first few commandments, it, that's the part where it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Like, so that's, that's a do as opposed to a do not, right? And the do is the principle behind it. That's the spirit of the law. And then some of the do's and do nots get into the technicalities. That's the letter of the law. But I think anytime you're talking about the law, anytime you're talking about telling people what to do, I think it's important to understand the concept behind it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's spot on. Yeah. So now this commandment, I think we have some... Maybe maybe there's some things about modern day Christianity we could talk about here within this commandment. I don't know that I have ever been in a church that hasn't had a cross in it. There are some churches who have statues of, let's say, saints and Jesus and Mary. Uh, and I'm not, I don't mean to say this. I'm, I, I don't mean to be disparaging. That's probably not the right word to use here. But this commandment would seem to speak directly to some of these things. So, um, maybe, 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 because maybe. Here's, I'm, I'm, I do photography and I have actually heard this said that what this means is you can't have any graven image, i.e. no photographs, no drawings, mm -hmm. no, no statues, none of these other things. And some people take this very, very literally, and I'm not going to judge their hearts because that's certainly not my job. Yeah, right. But the question that I hear you asking, Matt, is like, what does this actually mean? Some have said, okay, this means no liturgical. That means like um, um, things having to do with worship, no art associated with it, no steeples, no crosses, no uh, no uh, passion, you know, Mary and, and uh, the crucified Jesus, none of these things. Mm -hmm. um, except that if you get into this idea that you can't have any art, at all. And then if you go even further, you can't have art associated with worship. You're going to have a really hard time where just a few chapters later, we have God actually telling them how to make the art surrounding right. the tabernacle. Yep. And the altar. And here's how you make the cherubim. And here's how big you make the ark. And here's, here's how you make the cherubim. And, and later it's like, and here's the, you're going to have these angels embroidered on the, uh, on the, it's just, I mean, it's right there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so what seems to be, as I read this, because it comes up to me also, is that the issue is about worship. Are you going to worship these things, whatever they are? 
you know, I think that that's his point. It goes back to the first one because he says, you won't make a carved image, yada, 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 or anything. And then in five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Like, that's the point here he's trying to get across. Yep. Is that we could and we do in our culture essentially serve and might even use the wor- looser term um, worship things in our culture that are hmm, far from art. Correct. My mother okay. has pointed out before that they actually have graven image dealerships. What does that mean? <laughs> like, d- depending what you're worshiping, depending what you're prioritizing. Oh, okay. Like, you could actually go to a dealership and make arrangements to buy one for six years of, you know, easy payments <laughs> of $832 a month. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think there's there's another part of this verse that that's worth mentioning that I think is really cool. It, it, God gets a bum rap here where he says, you know, he will punish the iniquity to the third and fourth generation, um, which is super fascinating because, Tracy, you can pitch in here. But there's there's just become evident biological science that as a result of famines or as a result of trauma, it can actually temporarily reset the DNA of human beings to pass on things having to do with dealing with trauma or mm-hmm. um, mm. or, uh, starvation and so on. And those things time out, wouldn't you know it, in three or four generations. Yep. It's well, a- I think the best thing to look at is, too, is if you look at how it really just ingrains in your whole mentality. And it, I'm sure, you know, there's a possibility of it getting down to the DNA level, but look at how some of the maybe parents or grandparents that went through the depression. Yes. How they view the world. Yes. And how food, money is um, looked at and how it's, you know, not taken for granted. And if you look at, I'm just going to put it out there. Our children right now do not have that same mentality. Yep. You know, I, I'm going to put my little one on blast here at, at 11 years old, but you know, dad, I'd really like this thing. Son, it's $200. Well, it's not that much. Yes, it is. You know, so you really have to go. And as your father removed from those traumatic events, then you tend to lose their their impact on on the person. And I think even in light of what we're dealing with today with the pandemic, I think this is going to live with with our generation and maybe our children just a little bit more to to recognize, you know, just how not to take things for granted, even, you know, being around other people and, and going to church and that kind of thing, that, yeah. you know, that's something not to be, um, or something that should be really um, relished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that verse is, is even cooler. Actually, it's nothing about verse six, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those. And it's interesting, the footnote uh, says an alternate to that is thousandth generation to the thousandth generation showing steadfast love to those who love me and keep my commandments and so the the trouble part can be troubled for three or four generations but the blessing and the love is to the thousandth generation Mm. that's a pretty awesome ratio it is you know i was thinking back too and we had mentioned the, the ark of the covenant and how it was told to be built in exactly you know how it was to look you know, and I'm wondering, too, if if that really wasn't it wasn't meant to be worshipped so much as a, just like a symbol 
you know, where it was kept in in the sanctuary, that it wasn't something that everybody could lay their eyes on all the time. And most of the time you only had it moving in transit. And, and when it was being moved, if you touched it, you know, there was penalties of death for, for that. You know, and I'm wondering if that was just maybe everything else had a purpose in the sanctuary, but it was never to be worshipped. You know, the mercy seat, the Shekinah glory was there just to let you know that God was there and the priests were more, more um, seeing it, you know, daily. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, what if, what if we think about it this way? Like, let's take the uh, table of showbread, right? And then there was the candlestick, right? And those things didn't have to be made beautiful. Like, it could have been... It could have been made out of just wood, plain wood, because we're being humble and we're not elevating the items of worship, right? But instead, everything's gold-plated and everything is stunning. And there's so, so there's so so. What does that mean? Just because it's made stunning, like does that mean that that it has a higher value, or does that mean it's meant to command our attention and draw and and draw? importance to the event like in heaven gold is what the roads are made out of right so Mm -hmm. that would be what the equivalent of us taking some asphalt and making us some religious symbols you know what i mean like on earth gold is special and it's and it's and it's eye-catching and it's you you kind of treat it like it's important because it's valuable so i don't think it was meant to imply or imbue a sense of worship but maybe a sense of awe or respect or this is higher than me mhm yeah yeah so imagery associated with worship is not the same as worshiping the imagery i don't think so. i think they're vastly different because you could have a golden piece of furniture that we see later gets made and that that thing is not worshipped. I can't wait to talk about that. The Ark of the Covenant. I just mm-hmm. discovered something really amazing about that. But um, the, or you could worship a crude little rock, you know, or two sticks that you tied together. And yeah. so the idea of attributing worship to a thing, I don't think should be tied to, and anything above. $199.99, that is a worship thing. But below that, that's a trinket. doesn't count. I don't think that that's the way it breaks down. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's what the commandment says. Don't make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. Do not bow down to that image or worship it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do it. It's, it's, it's worship-based. Yeah, and we will eventually get to a very specific text about this where I can't remember who who said it. Maybe it was Isaiah. But basically, you know, going and taking a piece of wood and carving a god out of half of it and then throwing yeah. the other half in the fire. You know to make dinner with. Yes. To make dinner with it. And then but then you're worshiping that other thing that you literally just made with your own hands and now you're gonna bow down to it. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. the next let's see this would be number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I think this has a lot of different meanings to it. The first meaning generally that people take is swearing, you know, saying, oh, God, that's covered in this commandment. But I think the commandment is far more than just literally 
using a word in an arbitrary way. You know, uh, we're, we live we live in a society where Jesus Christ has become essentially a swear word, which is baffling. Or an exclamation, or, or an, exclam an exclamation, I should say, not so much a swear word. Although <laughs> I remember blurting it out one time in high school because I felt I had been wronged, and the teacher really took issue with that. I think rightly so, <laughs> you, you know. But it's so commonplace today for people to use the name Jesus as an ex exclamation, sometimes for surprise, sometimes out of anger, sometimes out of uh, derision. You know, and that's one aspect of this, but I think it goes deeper than that, where really what we're talking about is representing God. Don't claim to follow God. Don't claim to be a disciple of Jesus and then act differently than if, if you were. It could be. I mean, I've heard that too. And I think that we, I, I don't think that that's wrong. But as we consider that as a possibility, I think it's really important to put the caveat on there that God is not expecting perfect performance. Correct. Like, get your act together, and then you can wear my T-shirt. <laughs> right, but, you know, I think it's like when we get to talk about David, you know, he was a man after God's own heart. Well, this is a man who committed murder and committed adultery, and, I mean, he was a, he, he was a man of war. You know, all those things, if you took those by themselves, you would not, I wouldn't necessarily see him as a person following God, but yet he would always turn around and repent and be sorry for what he did and would continually seek to please God, you know, after the fact. Once he realized, once he thought about what he had done, he was constantly going back to God and not just acting out on his own impulses with never looking back. Yeah. I've always I've always thought of David as one of the earliest examples of untreated bipolar. So yep. when mm. they talk about him being a man after God's own heart, I think, yeah, he was unusually emotionally sensitive. And then I think, oh my goodness, what a roller coaster of a human being. Yep. But there's something in that that is that is a true heart. So I've got a parallel Bible, and when I look at this commandment, this third commandment, I've got new so there's the taking the Lord's name in vain, right? That's kind of the typical translation that we hear. So the NIV says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Mm -hmm. And then the message, which is a paraphrase, says, no using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. And that's mm -hmm. what I think it really came down to, just... Yeah. Irreverence, and yeah. you know, in thought and action, and you know, out of your mouth. Yeah, mm -hmm. and Matt, you've mentioned this before too. This idea of hasty vows. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and I think that this applies to that too. Is as people would say, "Well, God is my witness." I blah blah blah. It's, and mm -hmm. I think this is saying like, before you open your mouth, and he's not saying you can't ever use God's name. Right. That, that's an important distinction. They're just saying God is saying here. You be careful and take it serious. I think, Tracy, you picked out a great word there from Karen's reading, reverence, is that this is to be taken seriously. You, you use this word carefully. You know, you're, you're just, you're, let's suppose if the, uh, 
if the president is visiting and you, and you whichever president you like the best, pick one, and you're <laughs> at a, you're at a dinner, and you you don't just yell gun because in that context, that word has very serious implications. You yep. follow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just that you. It's like that's not a word to fool around with. You know, when you've got the Secret Service and the president in the same room, you just don't. You could get killed. It's just, and I think God is saying, hey, don't mess around with, don't mess around with this. Take this seriously. That's how I take it. So if we bring this back to that verse that I read from Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Like if you, if you're doing that, then the careless or sort of haphazard, irreverent use of God's name sort of would become anathema naturally. Like if if you, if you love your spouse with all your heart, like if you love your spouse, you're not going to, you know, slapstick humor and derogatory comments. And you know what I mean? Like, like when you hold a person or a relationship in high esteem, it, it is, it is automatically seen as careless of that relationship for you to speak lightly of that person or that relationship. And so to me, this is, this is a focus on priorities and don't get distracted by what's in front of you. Always keep this relationship marked out as separate and, and holy in your mind. That's the way I read this. Yep. Yes. Agreed. All right. We'll get into the fourth commandment here. And this is the longest, I believe, it's tied well, with the second one. It's tied with the second one. And it's the first of the commandments that comes across with a positive connotation rather than a do not. This is a something to do. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So beyond being one of the longest commandments in the Ten, it's also the first one I see that gives a specific reason for doing it. When we were looking at number two, it does say that 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 he would he would be you know he's jealous and he would visit iniquity and he or he would give blessing, but here it's kind of really specifically this is the commandment and this is exactly why I want you to keep it and it's because it's pointing out that God is the one who created everything. Yes. Yeah. So there's there is a pretty cool breakdown of this and it goes. I had never made that connection exactly, Karen, but. It goes to Karen's point earlier about this is about loving God. And this is important to remember that none of these are salvational. None of these say, if you do these, that will be your salvation. It doesn't say that. So in Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, let me just read it real quick because this is relevant. It says, if, it's the shortest, most important word in the entire Old Testament, New Testament 2, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, and doing your pleasure is actually a translation from, of, um, or business, from doing your business on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, 
and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own business or talking idly, this talking idly goes straight to the commandment right before it, doesn't it? Mm. Then, and here's important, if you keep the Sabbath, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. So the purpose of this is like you say, if you keep the Sabbath, if you keep the Sabbath, if you do, then you will take delight in the Lord. In other words, if you keep this commandment, it will increase your appreciation for me and we'll have a better relationship. Mm -hmm. it, it's not about, all righty, so you tick the boxes, you know, I mean, I'm studying for an online test thing and it's like, if I get all the answers right, I get this piece of paper. That's, that's not how this goes. God is saying, if you do these things, it will improve your relationship with me. So can I, I'm just going to read those same verses in the message, this paraphrase it says, if you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day of celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, you'll be free to enjoy God. Boom. Relationship right there. Exactly. Yeah. And it's super cool because, remember, the context of this is the seventh day of creation. This is in Eden. There is no sin. There are no Jews. This isn't about the Israelites. Right. It's not about mm -hmm. physical rest either. It's not about physical rest so much. It's, it's about relationship. And, and that walking and talking with God that was back in, in Eden. And I think that's where it was missed, that this was... This was innately put on their heart, this relationship with God way before, like we're saying, Israel and the Jewish nation. This was before. This was for mankind. And yeah. at, at this point, I think we said even a couple of weeks ago that at some point, you know, you need to not only do you say this, but you have this relationship. But at some point, you probably need to write it down for people just to have. And I think that's exactly what we're what we're doing at this point is what is what God was doing was saying, listen, I've already told you and it's not happening. So now I need to write it down for you so you could you could hear it and you could see it. You know what you've been doing all the way from the beginning of time. Yeah. I mean, this would be an awesome thing too. I mean, in the context of, of um, a bunch of slaves which I am, I would doubt that they got a full day off to say, you know what, spend this day with family and and hang out and and just really kind of get refreshed, everybody. We'll see you again on Sunday morning making bricks. You know, that probably mm -hmm. didn't happen. They're probably being pushed seven days a week. And so this idea that they get six days to, to labor and a seventh as a break, which is, you know, it's validated by the falling of the manna. There's mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And it goes to the point to where Jesus, it makes sense then that why in the New Testament Jesus would say the Sabbath was made for man, not man to serve the Sabbath. So, Eric, the other week you were talking about during the French Revolution. Oh, yeah, I think it was after we got, um, after we finished. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's an interesting, yeah, okay, to Karen's, Karen and I had a discussion. Um, the interesting thing is that this whole seven-day cycle is the only marker of time that I'm aware of that is completely independent of astronomical phenomena. The month is based on the cycles of the moon. The year is based on the cycles 
of the sun. The day is based on the cycle of the sun. We have all of these things, the equinoxes, and so all of these things are astro. The week is just like an arbitrary, let's just mark this off in seven days and then start over again. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not based on the sun or the moon or the stars or the tide or anything. And it's my understanding that during the French Revolution, and there may have been other occasions, they decided, no, they're going to they're gonna restructure how days go, and they tried a 10-day structure. We'll just do Which ten, would, do, yeah, 10 days would almost seem logical. Yeah, 10. It's, I mean, it's like moving to the, to the metric system. It's like, duh, mm -hmm. it's going to make it way easier to count. Right. And so we have, um, we have this 10-day cycle, and they tried it, and it didn't work. Like it really did. People, human beings just were like, nope, our bodies, our biological selves are, we're on a seven day cycle and it didn't work. Hmm. This is interesting. You know, we talked about, you talked about, um, oh, slaves not getting a day off. And I was reading a commentary about this this, this morning where mm -hmm. it was Dennis Prager's commentary, but he was talking about how anybody who works seven days a week even if it's voluntary, they are still victims of slavery. Yeah. There's, there's no way that the Egyptians would have let them have a day off. And even today, people who want to work seven days a week, they are a slave to their job, even, even if they want to do it. I've talked to people. I remember talking to a guy. I was on a job working. We were remodeling a kitchen or something like that. And I don't remember exactly what the context was but the guy told me he goes you know what i haven't had a day off in 10 years Ugh. and i said why not <laughs> you know well i like to work but, said, but what are you working for and he didn't really have an answer well retirement <laughs> well well great but then you're too old to enjoy anything you know but but yeah this idea of just constant work constant go it's not healthy no and speaking of that is i've um, I am not a professional athlete. Those of you who cannot see me online, um, I do enjoy fitness things, but I'm, I've, from the, from the coaches that I've talked to and, and the plans that I've looked at, all of them have a day off. Mm. Yeah. They all have a recovery day. I mean, even if that you're training, also. even if you're training for the Olympics, it's like you push really hard and then you have, you have got to give your body a day off. Like mm -hmm. it's built in like one out of seven days. You've, you've got to just like, all right, we're, this is going to be a, a refresh. Let's just pause. Let's push pause on this. It's just, I mean, it's just in us. And God, I think, is saying, remember, hey, hey, just telling you, this is the way it is. I'm not making this up. I'm just telling you what is. And he's just saying, remember, remember this. And it's for your blessing. And it's, it's just an awesome thing. And it's to our own loss that we um, that we don't pay attention to it and that we neglect it. So there, let's see, what was I going to say? Form the sentence, then speak. <laughs> I think that's the order it's supposed to happen in, right? <laughs> Usually, it doesn't always so, happen that so, way. Right. So back in Eden, like everybody's bodies were perfect. They didn't need a physical rest. Everybody's minds were perfect. They didn't need a mental rest. But what they needed was a reorientation, right? So I think it's very easy for us to get distracted by what is immediately in front of us and for yeah. that to become the most important thing for our time and energy and focus. 
Yes. So we, we will put our resources into whatever commands our attention at the highest rate. And for different people, that's different things, but the concept remains true. So to me, one of the biggest values of the Sabbath is the reminder that you are the created. Yep. Yes. And a reorientation of that position and a pause to look up in gratitude at where it all came from. If you didn't like what you did all week, if you're miserable, pause and worship, right? There's a higher plan going on. If you loved every minute of what you did all week and you're on top of the world and you're feeling pretty good about yourself, pause and worship. It puts you back in the proper place, whether that is raising you up or putting you back down. But it is, to me, a reorientation of your position in the world, what your value in the world is, and where to place your worship. To me, that's the biggest thing that the Sabbath offers. Mm -hmm. It's huge. That's awesome. Well said, Karen. Yeah, real good. Well, one, I want to go, I want to hit one more point on this because there are six other commandments to talk about still. Revelation 14 verses six and seven. This is, this is sort of the beginnings of the end times when there are messages, specific messages that will be given to people, to the people of the world before the return of Christ. And the very first one I'll read here. Uh, verse 6 and 7 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. That last uh, part of that sounds awfully familiar. Verse 11 in chapter 20 of Genesis, six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. We live in a time when it's probably more questioned than ever that God actually made us, actually created the world. Even amongst Uh, Christians. Yeah, even amongst Christians. There are even some denominations who are embracing the idea of a long millions of years long evolution of man from a primitive primate into what we are today and that just seems completely illogical just to me because as we as we see now we just see society breaking down i don't see evolution i see the uh, devolution if that's a real word i think it, it is, is it is now because I said it, but it's almost like people keep trying to embrace more and more a more animalistic nature, you know, more, you know, things of, of, uh, well, this happens in, you know, this happens amongst animals in nature and, and we're just animals. And so it's going to be okay for us too. I don't, I don't think so, but it's vitally important at this time. I know that amongst us, we see things in Bible prophecy that keep seeming to be coming more and more true and more and more rel- relevant all the time, sometimes to the point where I wonder if we'll even ever get through this whole Bible podcast thing. But it's so important to recognize that God is the one that created us, even amidst a world that doesn't want to believe it. Yeah, there it is it's in Revelation. It's interesting. It's at the very beginning. It's in creation. It's in Genesis. And the recreation and creation is at the end in Revelation. Okay. Um, have we have we beat that horse enough? It's not a dead horse. No, it's just a, it's a it's a really <laughs> cool it's a 
this is an important one because this one and the next one, actually, um, Jesus speaks of it. I don't recall him speaking of the first commandment or the second commandment, except in the sense that they seem to worship um, Scripture itself, not that it testified of him. Taking the name of the Lord in vain, I don't remember him speaking specifically of that, but I do remember him speaking with people a lot about the Sabbath. That was a hot thing. And he even mentioned um, the next one, honor your father and mother. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, it also so, just goes back to what we were saying before. It's that relationship. It's relationship. Yeah. Okay, so the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And I'm sorry, but I always chuckle when I read that because I think of teenagers mouthing off and mm-hmm. their parents being like, I'm going to end you. <laughs> and that's the first thing that always comes to mind. Okay, so, so I have to tell you this story. So <clears throat> when my son turned 13, a friend of the family gave him a jar of, literally gave him a mason jar with the lid screwed on that was empty and said, you're a teenager now. When your mother decides you have breathed your last, take the lid off of this and take small sips. <laughs> That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) So not not to completely distract from what we're talking about, but Mm. that is the first thing I think of every time I read this commandment. (laughs) As I remember (laughs) listening to uh, Bill Cosby, who we're not supposed to like anymore, but he was still a funny guy. Uh, He's talking about his dad saying, you know, I I brought you into this world and I could take you out. And I can make another one that looks just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's it's cool that this one is, I think, this is, I, I've heard it said, and where it is, I can't quote it, but this is the first commandment with a promise, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Is mm-hmm. that You've forgotten a whole lot in this culture. Tracy mentioned this about how we generationally tend to forget things. Is that if you honor those generations before you, you can learn from them. You can, you I mean, why in the world reinvent the wheel? Every generation feels like, uh, now, the people before me, they weren't super bright. But but me and my friends, we are geniuses. And this is a, is a statement, I like that phrase better, that, that says, hey, there's a, there's a blessing for you if you honor them. So there's two parts that are missing. One is the, the multi-generational thing these days and the idea of honor. Like holding somebody in honor is just a, it's a, it's a thing that's missing. Now, something I notice here, and I've had a, okay, oh, it would be about, oh gosh, probably about 20 years ago, I used to uh, run a youth group and I had a particular family of kids. They were great kids. They were kind of the backbone of the group, really. Um, But they would regularly be late to our Sabbath school class and you know i guess one time i just i just asked i was like you know why <laughs> and they said well our dad wants us to all come together to church and so i thought about that and i i didn't give them direct any kind of direct instruction here on this but i questioned them i said and you can tell me if i was right or wrong here but I said, is it always honoring your parents to implicitly obey them? Because the, the idea that I see of honoring your parents is one in which you act in a manner 
that people will be able to look at you and say, oh, hey, I know who's I know whose kid that is. That's a good kid. Must have been raised right. And and we've all heard of stories of people who just cannot get along with their parents. And you 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 talk about this commandment with them and they're like, how can I honor that person? I can't stand that person. You See, but honor, you, you've, got two, you've got several things going on here, Matt. You've yes. got honor and obedience. And yeah. those are not always the same thing. Right. To give respect, to give, like, you know what? You are my elder. I want to listen to what you have to say. Does not necessarily mean that we obey everything. Now, I think we got to be really careful with that because they do have more experience than us. And if um, I remember... Shoot, I was working in the backyard with a chainsaw once, and my daughter was about 11 years old. And I said, okay, so you know how to work the phone. I was by myself, just just her and her little brother. And I said, you know how to work the phone. And so if I have an accident, if something happens, you know, where I'm cutting up this tree, you call an ambulance. And she says, I don't need to call. I can just drive you to the hospital. I was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, actually, no, you're 11. Um, please do me a favor and just call. We'll all be better off as a family if you call. Well, no, I can, <laughs> I can drive. It's not that hard. And I'm like, accident and a chainsaw injury. <laughs> I thought that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, this is there's there's so many things that could go wrong with this. Um, but my point is, is that in a case like that, she was thinking that she knew best, and the fact is that because of my experience, I knew better in that case. That I think this is one of those things that we take to God and say, God, what would you have me do? If we're struggling with a thing between honor and obedience, if those two things part ways, we should only have those part ways when we are um, really listening for God's guidance on it. Yeah, but I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say here, too, though, is you can honor somebody that you don't care for. Yeah, or, agree. And when I say care for, I don't mean you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are there are some people in politics that I will give them honor for the position that they are in, but I'm not a fan. Sure. Yep. Yeah, that's really that's kind of where I'm coming from. Where I thought so, and um, and your days may be long upon the land. You know, I guess generally speaking, if you're living in a way that is honoring another person, you are probably not tearing yourself down by you know wine women and song so to speak yeah well i mean the blessing actually is for the one uh, as i read it here it sounds like the blessing is for the younger what do you guys think well yeah i think so i mean so basically it's a blessing that comes back on you Mm mm-hmm yeah i look at it as like pretty cyclical because you know even the parents if they're honoring their parents they're going to be a little bit more at ease you know and that's going to be seen by other generations or their children where you know this is kind of a standard practice you know Mm -hmm. and i think it too just being a parent sometimes that takes the strife out of things if you know you're just you have this this commandment and it's not so much used to to beat your children with, but to kind of just give them an example of, of you know, maybe the love and respect you should have for your parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can remember a few times as my kids were growing up where 
they would want, like they were getting to the years where they trusted their own experience, they trusted their own perspective, and they really just kind of wanted to run with that. And if I disagreed, if I was asking them to do something different or do it a different way or to not do something, they would quite naturally object because their own life experience said that that was just fine. And there were a few times, and, and, and I, I tried to parent in such a way that I didn't pull rank, but occasionally I would. And the reason, the reason that I tried not to pull rank most of the time is because I needed it to be effective when I did. I needed there to be moments where I said, okay, I know that you don't understand my perspective on this, and I know that you don't understand where I'm coming from or why I'm insisting on this. I have reasons. I can explain them to you, but you don't necessarily know the value because you haven't lived as long as me. I need you to obey my position on this, right? I'm pulling rank. I need you to obey my position, even though you don't understand my perspective. And they would do it. Sounds like mm -hmm. the end of Job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> now go get that jar of air. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. if you yeah. can, if you can, if you can, if you can talk to sense to someone, if you can explain your point of view so that they agree to step into your will, that's great. But sometimes you can't because your perspective is so far removed from their perspective. And those are the times when honor becomes a necessity because if they don't honor you, they won't obey you. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the larger framework within which obedience occurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that actually speaks to another part of this. It isn't implicitly said here, but it's implied that in order for a parent to get honor from their children, they need to be somebody worthy of honor. <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, yes. Except that a parent is a role as well as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get, I get what you're saying. But, you know, it, it would serve us well as parents to be sure that we're honorable. I mean... Oh, yes. No, totally service well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next one. We're on uh, number six. Yep. Yeah. Uh, number six. You shall not murder. That's the way it's written in the New King James, I think, and others. It's straight up, you shall not kill, but you shall not kill does not seem to be the appropriate way to say it because... I mean, there's times we're, we're going to be talking about sacrifices. There are times when God specifically tells the Israelites, go into that city and kill every living thing that's there. So we have two different meanings of, of, of something there. And this is specifically do not murder. Yeah. So um, this here footnote in mind at the ESV says the Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. Oh, interesting. Mm. So this would, this is, I mean, and again, I mean, this I think is worth thinking about. And when we think about all these commandments is, is are we looking to lower the bar or raise the bar? Because Jesus, even when he referenced this in, um, I believe it's either Matthew five or six, five. he said, if you say Raka, you know, fool to my brother, you know, he's saying I told you don't murder, but I'm telling you don't have these, these hateful uh, fill in today we could say road rage in your heart. Mm -hmm. Don't have that in your heart. And so I think that instead of minimizing like, well, how much can I get away from? 
you know, get away with is that um, he's raising the bar. And I think it's interesting to your point, Matt, about killing later in somewhere between here and 25. It talks about if somebody breaks into your house at night and it's dark and you swing and hit them and you kill them. If they broke into your house at night and you killed them, you didn't premeditate this thing. You're absolved. Mm -hmm. But then there you go. I mean, you, 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 you took a life right there. And so I do think that the weight of both the Old Testament and the New Testament is talking about um, murder or killing someone else unnecessarily. Because to that same rule, it says if the daylight comes, if somebody breaks into your house, but it's sunrise and mm-hmm. you hit them and kill them, you're guilty. Because there's there was a different – the implied in that is there's a different course of action you could have taken. So – in Matthew 5, I actually have that, my Bible open to that here, because he because Jesus directly addresses at one point, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, he directly addresses... Adultery. Yeah, he he, he addresses numbers, uh, what is it, 6 and 7? Yes. Is that where we're at? Yes. Um, murder and adultery, and he takes, he takes the line, he takes crossing the line back further from the action to the intention. So he starts off with murder. He says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which was a, it's like a, like a expression of contempt, like Eric said, like fool, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of hellfire. All right. So then he goes on to like, how does that affect your day to day life? Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled with them. Right. Like handle your business. And then he moves on to adultery. You have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right. So we go, we're going backwards from like, hey, look what my hands did to, hey, look what my mind did. Mm-hmm. And did I intervene when I noticed it was going the wrong direction and correct its path? Right. Which reminds me of a text in Proverbs that says, above all things, guard your heart for from it spring all of the issues of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes deeper than just the actions. It's it's uh, just about your entire attitude. Yep. That's absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so we've already touched on it. You shall not commit adultery. This one, boy, this one is all over the map these days, isn't it? I mean, I think watch... it's been misread, perhaps. That thou shalt. I'm not sure. <laughs> you re, you know, you watch, you watch, you know, shows, sitcoms, whatever, and you they they portray a new relationship, and the people have been together for a few weeks, and it's almost always, well, have you slept together yet? Like. Well, why why is that why why has that become a uh, a landmark of a good relationship if you've already gotten in the sack with somebody you know uh there's so many reasons to not go down that road that people forget about you know let alone the intimacy uh that could be shared between a a a married couple uh STDs just the self self-worth you know 
I think it's order of importance, honestly. So I don't I don't think that anybody's trying to be a massive player. Like for, so for so I am currently in the not so glorious process of attempting to online date. And I can tell you that the expectation is that there will be sex within three dates, right? Mm. So so what is adultery? Is that sex outside of commitment? And then what is that? Does that include fornication? Right. So there's different places you could draw these lines. But I would just say that the current issue surrounding this topic, I think, has a lot more to do with where people are placing their priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, so back to Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so so we've already covered the commandments where you're looking up towards God. And now we're covering the commandments where you're looking across at each other. And then what is honor and where do I fall in the scheme of honor? Where's the line between honoring myself and therefore that system of honor flows over onto other people and I automatically treat them with honor as well. Right. Or where is it where I am simply prioritizing my needs? I'm going to get mine and I'm going to do it at whatever the expense to other people is because I'm most important. So so I think we're I think we're down to priorities. I think this I think all of the commandments really come down to priorities. Where is your focus? Where are you putting your time and your attention and your energy? And how does that outflow into your actions? Yeah, 100 percent. This is. Yes, because it, you know, your parents, uh, others who have angered you, um, adultery and lust, stealing, bear false witness, coveting, all of these things are in the same bucket. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're right, Karen, is, it, is that if we're looking at these, whatever they are, especially thou shalt not steal, that one seems to be pretty easy to fudge that one all, all the way up to like uh, broke a window and stole the yeah, you know, stereo out of your car kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Is that um, is this has to do with are we first of all honoring and recognizing God, and second, what does this say about us and our relationship of honor with those around us? And that puts things in a totally, totally, totally different light. It's like, well, is this really is this really stealing from somebody if I borrow it from the office and take it home? Is it really stealing if I stay clocked in for those four hours that I was actually not really working? Is it because then it becomes splitting hairs, all that stuff. And if we're thinking about honor and where is our heart and who to whom is our allegiance? Is it to us first or is it to God? It just makes these things a lot more clear. It just we we zoom out and we're thinking, okay, actually, we we were looking for a reason or an um, an excuse to to do fill in the blank whatever it is but in those contexts it, those things become a lot more clear because to your point it's the heart well so i've heard it i've heard a lot of people say well you know sin right the middle of sin is i right clever little thing to say that sin comes from selfishness and the summary of the commandments that jesus gives in the the conceptual summary of the commandments that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount says, Mm -hmm. value your brothers and sisters the way you value yourself, right? right? So if I am am selfishly motivated to put myself number one 
And I now take that perspective and I lay it on all my brothers and sisters around me. How drastically does that shift how I treat them and how I think about them? Like I'm supposed to love them like I love myself and look what I'll do, right? Look at the lines I'll cross or blur or fudge in order to try and get my own way. What if I gave that same intention and priority to everyone? Oh my goodness. Doesn't that level the playing field? Mm-hmm. Or I think it's that relationship that you have with God that, you know, what will you do in darkness or what will you do when nobody else is around? Yeah. Only knowing that, you know what, it's really ultimately comes down between me and God, Yep. you know, and, and how you feel about that. And, and if you put that relationship in high regard with God, then all these other things will not be an issue because if you're going to sit there and you're going to, you know, like we said before, premeditate this stuff, you've done it already in your mind. Now you're trying to rationalize it and justify it. It's mm-hmm. like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. How could I do this thing and sin against God? Right. You know, and I think right. that we see that, you know, just, you know, when we first started, these were rules that were, were innate qualities that were given right at the beginning. These were already entrenched in their in their being or their DNA, like we had talked about and referenced all throughout the Bible to this point. They just needed them written down. So I don't know if you guys noticed this. I didn't notice this in Genesis when we were reading through that story with Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. But when he's, what he says to her encompasses both aspects, both principles that the law hangs on. He says, Mm. But your husband has put me in charge of all of his possessions. He's only withheld one thing from me. And that's you because you're his wife. Okay. There's loving your neighbor as yourself, right? There's the, the honor system for others. And then how could I do this thing? How could I do this thing and sin against God? There's the respect for his placement to God. Like he covers the entire moral law just mm-hmm. in dealing with Potiphar's wife. And I think we yeah. made reference to that when we were there. Is that, you know, it, it is that. It's that he he valued his relationship with God above all else. And that's, to me, that's why he was blessed. Did it take away some of the, the strife and the hardships that he had to go through? No. But I think he was able to focus and, and know where his strength came from. All right. Well, we touched on you shall not steal. Now, that's another interesting one, because there are times when God told, you know, when he was telling people to go in and kill everybody, he was also telling them to go take all their stuff. But there are also times when he told them, don't take anything. So it would seem that there are different connotations under this. Not that we're looking for the legalistic here, but I guess it's like we've said, it's it's about your relationship with God and, and what's involved. But, you know, just the general idea of stealing, of taking something that's not yours, that one... I would almost rather have somebody punch me in the face than steal from me. This is a personal. You know, working construction, you don't dare leave tools on a job site because there's a good chance they're going to be gone the next day. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've worked on jobs or I've heard of jobs. You know, I'm an electrician. And times when copper prices got high and people would go in and they would strip a house, just strip all the, all the, all the wiring out of an unfinished house. Um, I was on a job once where somebody came in and they took all the light fixtures out. And just, just goofy things. But 
you know, just the idea of taking something that isn't yours, something that belongs to somebody else, that one is just almost, it's just more, almost more egregious to me than some of these others. It's yeah, just, and these, it, things were, these things were met with, especially stealing, very, very, very harsh penalties because it's hard to run a functioning society when there's the idea that it's okay to steal from other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it always amazes me how callous some people have gotten to the point. You know, you've all seen the videos of porch pirates. They just walk up, they grab somebody's Amazon box, and casually walk back to their car as if what they're doing is commonplace, normal practice. They don't even know what they've taken, and I don't think they care. They just know that, hey, I might get something good out of this, and here I go. You know, I think we need to look at it. I'm going to date myself right now and saying that, you know, in the 90s, we had a, a huge um, disagreement in society about the severity of punishment when caning was on the mm. forefront in, in another country and one of our American citizens was facing that penalty. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, I remember that. And, you know, I think you, you need to sometimes go back and look at the severity of the punishment, you know, and it's when it's rationalized among that person to say, you know, is it worth me stealing if there's a possibility I could lose a hand? You know, and I think sometimes that, that changes that the person's intention, knowing that the severity of the punishment could be that much. Where, you know, nowadays, in, I'm only speaking just here in America, you know, it's not, it has to be over a certain monetary value for it to, you know, have any kind of, you know, punishment. And usually it's it's not something that severe. You mm-hmm. know, it might be a fine, it might be some court cost, it might be community service. But very rarely, if you were to steal somebody's screwdriver, you're going to go to jail for it. Or right. you're going to lose a hand. And I think sometimes that, that plays into this is... You know, we just rationalize it so much that there's no real consequence to it. So now it just becomes, okay, I'll do it because I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Well, look at like credit card fraud. You know, you hear if, if uh, somebody's gotten your credit card number and they rack up a bunch of charges, there's a good chance the credit card company won't even try to go after them because it's not worth, it's not, we're not worth it to them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's worth it to me. You know, that's, that's. I guess yeah. I, I guess they take us off the hook for having to pay for it, but but it it has become it's become like so commonplace that it's hardly even considered to be bad. Right. You know? the, the the trouble with that ultimately, I believe, is that we get in our culture, in our mindset, that it's okay, mm-hmm. and then we see. Um, I have a particular problem with this. You have basically modern day pirates. But they're wearing very expensive suits and shoes, and they're stealing millions and millions of dollars. White-collar crime, we call it, as if it's any different. Mm-hmm. As if it's any different. And, and we've said in our culture, that's okay. We'll slap, on a, we'll slap you on the hand. We'll give you a little censure. But, hey, since you did it under a corporation name, then ah, we can't hold you personally accountable for it. Mm. And it is to the poverty of our entire nation that we do this. Yeah. None of these say you can do this if you hold this position. 
or none of you can do this if you have this certain amount of wealth, or you can do this if you are this gender, or you can do you know what I mean? These are just mm-hmm. like these are statements. You shall not you includes every color in the spectrum. You includes all the genders and however you land yourself in there. It's just all financials. It's just a this is a everybody kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be. So to yeah. me, I'm seeing like in these last six, I'm I'm seeing a lot of lines of respect. Respect your parents. That's their position. It's not yours. Don't go there. Let them be let them be the parents and respect them for that. Don't murder someone. That's not your life. Don't go there. That's not yours. Right? Don't commit adultery. That's not your intimacy. That's not your person to have that with. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. Objects, stealing money or whatever it is that you're stealing. Don't do it. It's not yours. Don't go there. Mm-hmm. And right. then, you know, false, false testimony against your neighbor. That's their reputation. Yeah. That's them living out their life. That's not yours. Don't tamper with it. Don't go there. Yeah. Coveting, same thing. Those are other people's things that they have worked for and that they have felt were important enough to buy for themselves. It's not yours. Don't go there. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, this entire set of, of these last six commandments or statements of the law or moral law or however you want to call this is drawing lines between what's your business and what isn't. It's like to put this in modern day psychology terms, like we're setting some boundaries here. Like don't cross them. It's not mm-hmm. yours. Don't cross it. Yeah. They're also intertwined. You know, the first four, they're also intertwined around respecting God and the, and the last six are also intertwined about respecting uh, your fellow human being. Tracy, you're the music guy. Maybe you can help me with this. But the U2 lyric, I don't remember how it goes, but it starts about something about to hurt is to steal. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it's in there. And I was just thinking about something along those lines, too, is, you know, stealing is just so broad in general. Can you steal time from somebody? Oh, sure. You yeah. know, can you, you know, it, it's just so all encompassing on everything you do. You know, if you lie about somebody, are you stealing their reputation? Are you stealing their livelihood? These are so interwoven that it does. It really comes down to what Karen is saying. It's how you respect your fellow human being. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. Yep. Yep. Let's get these. All of the the last of them. That just ties Mm -hmm. it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's get in this next one quickly here. Uh, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Karen already talked about that one, how it's it's not your reputation that you're affecting when you when you lie about somebody and this is specifically it's interesting to me this is specifically don't lie about another person i think it's also implied don't lie in general you know although there are are there moral times when it's okay to lie possibly you know if you're trying to preserve a life I don't have I mean, enough coffee for that for that discussion. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, yeah. don't open that up at the end, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Adventure Through the Bible. <laughs> you know, but that is something to, that is can't something to think about. Yeah, no, that, that is something to think about, though. Well, the context of that, to your point, though, is the context of this has to do a lot of with, with court things. These are, mm-hmm. these are issues. This, is, this isn't a did you eat the cookie or did you not eat the cookie kind of a thing. Although it could be, certainly. Well, I saw him eat the cookie. He totally ate the cookie. Right. And oh, that, that's there's where cookies things, in front of me. I'm eating them. 
this is bear false witness against your neighbor. That's a that's a legal thing. And we see that come up over and over and over again as we get into uh, later here in Exodus and into Deuteronomy is that you do not pervert justice. You, right. you don't do it. You don't take a bribe. You don't lie about these things. It's a big deal. And that's where some of the harshest penalties come down is actually perjury. So one of the interesting things in the modern legal system is that if you have committed crimes based on addiction, drugs, drinking, substance abuse, DUI, DUID, all of those types of things, if you have committed crimes based on addiction and a number of years go by, like it's different in each state and each state handles this under their own laws, but here in Colorado, it's 10 years. You can actually get those stricken from your record if you can prove that your problem is that you no longer have that problem. But when it comes to crimes of dishonesty, you cannot because that's a character issue. It's not a behavior issue. It's a character issue. Interesting. And yeah. I think it's funny you mentioned that right now because um, we're looking at um, those high profile people right now that are getting basically, let's just say, kind of getting off on what they had done. Um, as far as lying to, you know, Congress and stuff like that. And it makes me think about these. It's like, okay, so do we live with these rules anymore? Or are they just becoming not so much? I, I think, just... yeah. And I think we can answer that question. And we see that society in general yes. is paying the price. You, you, you look at countries that, that thrive and survive. And those that are just basically chaos, and it it boils down to honesty, I think. Mm -hmm. And if if you have countries that are based on dishonesty and bribery and you know payoffs and you know position buys you uh, exemption from honesty and so on, those countries in general, the whole country doesn't do well. Right. And those countries that say we have a rule of law, nobody whether they're rich or poor, is exempted from these things, it's those countries those countries do better. Human nature being what it is, we need, we need sort of systemic accountability built in. Yeah. Okay. And now the last commandment here. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. you got to turn the page. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, that one, on its surface, seems rather innocent. To look at somebody's house, and wow, I'd love to have that house, um, that car, wow. You know, I'd like, I sure do like that guy's wife. I think what you're getting at here, Matt, or at least how I see it. I won't say how you see it. Is there's a, difference, right. there's a difference between appreciation. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a super nice cabin. And, mm. and I wish that was mine. Because then our mind goes straight to the scheming. It goes straight to the, hmm, I wonder what I could do to... And, and that's the difference. It's not looking at it and saying, wow, that's a high five. Good for mm -hmm. you. And I don't even know if it's... I don't even know if this is as narrow as some kind of internal plotting, like, could I get that from that person? But it, it reprioritizes, like, what you're trying to do. Like, you're walking through your life based on what you're trying to accomplish. And if you get sidetracked by trying to keep up with the idea of what somebody else has prioritized in their life, like, why would you do that? 
get back in your lane. You chose your lane for a reason. Like you're living out your lane because you chose it and you put yourself there and you worked yourself into a position or a job or a whatever or a marriage or a, or a system that allows you to stay in your lane. Like don't be distracted by what you have chosen for yourself by what somebody else is trying to do for themselves. Like just don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's even worse though if you didn't choose it. If it was just like you were put here and it's like, oh, I hate right. it. I want to be because it goes to motive. I can see Tracy's wanting to talk. Yes, <laughs> you're like chomping at the bit because it's everything that we have talked about before. It's like once you cross that line, now your focus goes away from God mm. and away from these rules. And you start to scheme yeah. and plan. Yes. And what is it going to take? Will it take murder? Will it take coveting? Will it take mm-hmm. stealing? Will it take uh, bearing false witness against that person to get what they have? Will it take focusing on anything besides God? Like, do I have to shift away from God in order to implement my new desires? And I'll I'll take some words from from my wife when she says, you can want what somebody else has, but that's their journey. That's their life. That's and if you were put in that same position that they're in, that's Mm -hmm. not that wasn't for you to begin with. And just like Karen is even also saying that wasn't your lane to be in. Yeah. You find happiness there. No, because you're going to go on to something else, wanting something else that you see is better and it will never be enough. Hence, your focus will never be on God. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at how how often you hear about people who have won the lottery. We're talking about being in your own lane, so to speak. People who have won the lottery. How often have you heard about people going bankrupt almost immediately? Oh, my goodness. After they've won the lottery. You know, they get millions of dollars and it's gone. It's just gone. Here's, they here's don't know a, how to, my, my wife's key phrases. If you do not know um, how to handle the dollar that God gave you, what are you going to do when you win millions of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you hear about people, you know, they, they disparage the rich of the country. You know, why, you know, why do they deserve that? You know, well, they worked for it. And there's probably a reason you don't have that, you know. I know there's a reason I don't have millions of dollars just because I like to buy dumb stuff once in a while, <laughs> you know, so, and I'm not willing to work that hard for it. <laughs> Go ahead, Tracy. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think Tracy's Tracy's got it is that this what this really is about is it, it's interesting that all the other ones are external. You think about it. Stealing. Well, did you take it or did you not? You know, murder. It's like if we if we had a security tape, we could go back and watch it. Um, you know, did you worship that other thing? But this is an interesting thing. This is all in the head. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I mean, yeah. this this is it never really struck me before. Is that this one is God is saying this? Yes, it might result in your behavior of breaking these other commandments. But I'm telling you, don't even go there in your head. There's no way in a court of law you could sit down and say, now, were you thinking in your head? Because you could say yes or no. And nobody else can be in your head. And this one, God is saying, in your head, don't go there. Mm -hmm. The very, very interesting thing, because it has implications when we act it out, because I think you're 100% right, because it has to do with then where we put our focus. Because when we put our focus on us, it naturally leads to us breaking all the rest of them or finding technicalities as to why we didn't, but we did. 
it, it speaks straight to our selfish nature. Mm -hmm. yeah. I heard a quote once that said, um, it is the nature of humans to desire. It is the nature of desire to never be satisfied. Mm. Right? So you don't, if you end up focusing on those lower things and everybody will have their own propensities. So I'm not saying that I'm, I'm as susceptible to murder as I am to, you know what I mean? Like, like mm -hmm. each person's going to have their own version of this. But I just think if you, if you lower your gaze and you focus on what it is that you want, you start living in a state of deficit and you'll feel like you're starving and you'll do anything to fill yourself. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's where the first four commandments are helpful. Like you reprioritize God's up there. I'm down here. I'm smaller. He made me. Right. And it mm -hmm. just kind of shifts everything. And then you, then, then you give, you give worship where it's due. You give respect where it's due. And you, you yourself understanding your own fallen nature are correctly placed in the larger scheme. And I just, I just think that, I just think that with those perspectives in mind, you know, 90% of the things that the world struggles with would go away. Well, that is probably going to do it for, well, definitely for the Ten Commandments. I think we could probably talk about them. We could probably almost spend an hour on each one. We're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we're going to recap on the First Commandment. No, we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> But they're, they really are relevant for today. Every single one of them, all 10 of them. And, you know, we could, we could look into all the nuances of how exactly to keep each of these commandments. That's not the point. Uh, ultimately, the point here is this is the beginning of God telling a people who had, had essentially for generations been in slavery and are starting to... Uh, create a new society, and they don't really know how. This is this is God giving them some instructions on on how to be a productive, functioning society. And we're going to be camping out for the, probably the next few episodes in some regulations and instructions that were very specific to them. But uh, there's still a lot of them are still going to have really good uh, applications for our lives today. I don't know exactly how the podcast is going to work for those. It's going to be hard to say we're going to cover X number of chapters because some of these we're probably going to fly through and some of them we might we might sit on for a bit. I think for the time being, I think we'll probably because we were going to try to get through 20 chapter 25 today. I had my doubts that that would happen and I was right. So I don't know. We'll probably try to go with that five chapter format still, but it might be wise to read a little further on or maybe maybe we'll have some shorter sources some shorter episodes too i don't know anyway just want to thank you all for listening keep in mind that you can reach us at attb podcast at the adventure.org uh you can see us on facebook at uh adventure through the bible be sure to share us be sure to subscribe we look forward to talking to you again next week thanks for listening